Um, well, if, you, if you've been with us for a while, we, we started a series in the book of Colossians, which Andy started. So I'm going to pick up <coughs> on the next part of um, in that study and looking at Colossians 1 uh, verse 18, which is up there behind me. Um, I hope that you have been encouraged through this, um, this series because for me, it's really helping shape how I see God and actually how that impacts on my life personally. And I hope that today also from what we learn from this particular verse, that your faith will be built up and that you're going to come away from today just so encouraged and strengthened. So it says in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that, that in everything he might have the supremacy. Um, just a very powerful, rich verse, and I, I think that's enough to look at. Just one verse is enough for today. Um, but what Ant was speaking about the last time he preached, he's, he's speaking about a poem that Paul was quoting, which extolled God and extolled Jesus Christ. And so if you have a look behind me, uh, the first part of this, this poem, which is from verses 15 to 16, is a, a, a stanza or a verse of the poem which extols Jesus as master of the universe. And Ant really taught so wonderfully into that. And if you want to go back to the podcast, you'll be able to listen to that. And then verse 17 is this kind of linking little phrase in the middle that links the next verse to that one and says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together which is quite apt seeing as it holds the two verses together, but it's also saying how Christ is the center being of all creation. Um, and then we go into the second verse, which is the part, sorry, Nick, if you can go back. We go into the second part, which says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And then it goes on to say, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, um, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now the second verse here, where the first verse was about Jesus as master of the universe, the Lord of all creation. This second verse is speaking about Jesus as master of the church, as Lord of, his cre of, of the church that he established. So um, it's in, in these few little phrases here, it summarizes a very powerful theological truth about the nature and the relationship between Christ and his church. And this is what we're going to unpack these rich but powerful phrases and see um, this most profoundly beautiful relationship that God wants us to understand of how he is with his church. And so the first thing we want to look at is the simple phrase, and he is the head of the body, the church. Just a very, very simple phrase. Now, this uh, word for church here in the Greek is ecclesia. That is the word that is used. And it doesn't refer to a particular local church. So maybe the church in Colossae, or maybe to Forest Town Church, or to City Church up the road, or the vineyard. It's not talking about just a local church. It's talking about 
the universal church across the world. It's about every person who has ever placed their faith in Jesus in past history from the first disciples till the end of time. That's what that word church means. It refers to the whole of the, the, those that are called out in the whole of time and in, the, in geographical areas everywhere. It refers to every person that's part of the universal church of God. And it's really important for us to understand that when we place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, we immediately become part of his worldwide church. And that transcends any human divisions of denomination or style or theological emphasis or practice. We are part of God's family. Have you ever gone uh, somewhere to another country or just met someone and you you realize that they are a Christian and you've just got an instant bond with them. You're just able to talk to them and you click. It's because you've got the same DNA. You've got the same father. They might, you might not come from the same local church, but you are part of the, the same family. And that means that we have a way, we have this wonderful oneness that we are part of with every Christian all around the world. And the Lord loves all his people. The Lord doesn't have favorites. He, he loves every church in this town that preaches the gospel. He loves every church across the nations. God loves all his people, and he calls us to do the same. He calls us to speak well of other churches and to honor those that honor Christ and the truth of his gospel. In all the diversity of expression and the emphasis, different emphases that makes up the church, and we are also called to pray for the church worldwide when it suffers persecution. We think of those in Syria who are, are suffering persecution or in China or when the church falls into error or where we see local churches going through division and challenges. We're called not to judge but to really to pray and stand with our brothers and sisters who are part of our bigger church family. Um, one of the things that we've had as a challenge in going to Cambodia is that um, the churches in Cambodia are, are, are quite small in the rural areas and um, they also are new churches and so a lot of people are young in their faith. And what has started to happen in the, in the last few years is there has been a cult um, which has come from Korea into Cambodia saying that Jesus has returned and he's living in Korea and uh, some of these people are going into Cambodia to very poor communities and saying, we'll give you money and build you a church building if you come and follow um, our, our faith and our emphasis. So there is so much that we can stand with. So when we've been going into Cambodia, we've really been trying to pre preach the true gospel so that they are not um, duped into any other kind of understanding and false gospel that could come. We are to stand with the church in all its diversity across the world. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, we had someone called Greg Downs come and preach in our church. He had a wonderful preaching ministry. And he gave a sermon about true Christian conversion. And, and he said that uh, authentic, Christian, authentic Christianity is when we are converted to Christ we are converted to his church, and we are converted to the Great Commission to reach the lost. There's something of us when the DNA and the love and the Holy Spirit of 
Jesus comes within us, that it's evidenced in a deep love for Christ, in a deep love for his church, and a, and a commitment to his church, and a deep love for those who do, who do not know him. Our faith is worked out in those three ways, and very, very clearly, they all become uh, an important passion in our hearts, in, in true authentic conversion. And so it's important for us, on one hand, to hold the big picture of the church in mind, to see God's unfolding purpose through history. We can see what God is doing when we look at what God is doing worldwide. I often find it very interesting what God is doing in one particular, particular local church. He's often doing in a number of churches at the same time because he's doing something by his spirit across his whole body. Um, but the thing is that we get to play our part in this bigger picture when we uh, knit our hearts to a local church community where we can work out our calling and grow in our faith and be a blessing to others. So it's one thing to be part of the worldwide church, but it has to find its local expression in a, in a local church community. And uh, we at Forest Town, I know that uh, as you've been part of the church for a while, we'll know our vision statement is uh, we want people to be rooted in Christ to be planted in the family, and to be fruitful in their lives. And that's the kind of lens through which everything that we do in this church, we are trying to help people on that journey. And I love, I love the fact that in Forest Town, if you had to go and speak to someone at tea time and ask them, what is your church background or non-church background? What has been your journey? There are so many diverse stories here. And Forest Town has been the place where God has brought people from all different nations, uh, different church backgrounds, different flows, but he's taking us on a journey together to understand his amazing grace, which he's given us through the cross of Jesus. So uh, isn't that wonderful? God takes diversity and he makes um, a wonderful local church community. And sometimes people ask us, how did you get the name Forest Town Church? And that comes from that passage in Isaiah where it speaks about a whole lot of different trees growing in the desert. So there were the cedar, the acacia, the, uh, the box tree, the, I can't think of the fir, all different trees growing together that probably shouldn't grow together and they shouldn't grow in the desert, but there they were bringing a display of splendor to God. And we felt God was going to bring diverse people from all different places, all different backgrounds, and he was going to do something his glory um, in this place and we've, we've seen him do so many wonderful things but in verse 18 if we get back to that verse um, it says here Paul uses an analogy to help us understand the nature of the relationship between the church and Jesus and he uses a picture of a human body I don't know about you I'm a very visual person so if I can have a, a visual image um, that helps me so, Nick, if you could just go to the one that, yeah, that's brilliant. If I, if I can see a picture of a body that helps me understand what Paul was trying to say. So, he was saying that this church, this worldwide church, is like a, a human body, and Jesus is the head. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we read how Paul, if you go to the next slide, um, thanks, Nick. Uh, we read how Paul unpacks this very powerful truth. In, in, the, in these verses, and if you can follow behind me, I'm sure you know this very well. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, 
All the members of the body, though many, are one body, and so it is with Christ. So just like our physical body has a hand and a feet, foot and a, a nostril and a whatever, the, the, the worldwide church of Christ has many different parts to it. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, uh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It's an ludicrous thought to think of an ear trying to hop down the road, isn't it? We, we couldn't be just an ear, or we couldn't just be a, an eyeball rolling down the road. We, we need a whole part that makes, makes the body. And I think that's very special even in a local context like St. Albans. We need all the different churches that represent Jesus in this local community to reach this, to be a representation of Jesus. So we want to see all churches flourish and grow. And the same is true in the bigger picture. We often read this um, chapter in Corinthians from the perspective of the local church and seeing how we as individuals fit into the local church. And I think that's also a valid lens on it, that actually all of us sitting here have a, a, an important part to play. And because we might not be this or we might not be that does not make us less part of the body. Every part is valid and important. Um, so when Paul is talking about this, he's talking about the universal church, which is spread across different nations, cultures, races, and economic backgrounds, because we need the full complement of Christ's body to be effective in representing God to the world. So now we've got this picture of the church as a body, and then Paul says these very simple words. He says, and Jesus is the head of the body. That means that it's not the Pope, it's not the Queen, as wonderful as those people are, it's not the Archbishop of Canterbury or the most powerful preacher or any pastor that is the head of the church. It is Christ alone. There's no, they are human leaders, but they are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of his church. And what's an eminent position the head occupies on a body? Um, by its various senses and the faculties that it has, it's capable of regulating and directing our movements. If the head thinks walk there, then the body walks there. Um, so Jesus is the head of his church, that he can preside over all the concerns for his church and order the whole course of events for his church. He sees, he hears, he speaks, and he thinks for his church. It is guided by his eye and directed by his wisdom and strengthened by his intercession. The, the church is all about the head, Jesus, and the, the out, it's outworked through his body. 
Now think about it, and I don't want to get gory, but what would happen if a body lost its head? Well, it might twitch for a bit, but then it would eventually die. And maybe if anyone's um, slaughtered any chickens or something like that. It, but you, you cannot, a body doesn't last long without a, a, a head. And uh, you see, Christ as the head is the source of his body, of the life in his body, the church. And not only has he given us new life, but he's given us his very life. It's not just some energy that he's put into us to help us. It is his life that is living in, in this body, in his church. The life of his spirit flows in us and through us. Wherever Christ is, we are. As he has been raised from death to life, so too are we. As he rules in all authority in heaven and, and earth, so too do we live in the powerful authority of his name. Martin Luther said this, he said, the moment I make of myself and Christ too, I'm all wrong. But when I see that we are one, all is rest and peace. Now Paul wants us to understand this thing of headship a little more, so he uses another phrase. And uh, yes, that's the one. Nick's you on the ball, Nick. <laughs> he uses another phrase, which is, he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. So Paul, Paul is trying to say, Jesus is the head of this body, his church, but I want you to understand what kind of head he is. And so he gives us these two phrases to help us understand. So the first part, he is the beginning. So as in that first part of the, the poem, remember I mentioned right in the beginning, when Jesus was proclaimed as the pre-existent God before creation, he created the heavens and the earth. Here in this verse, Paul is saying that Jesus is the one who created the church. He is the originator and the beginning of his church. The church wasn't some person's good idea. The church wasn't the disciples' idea. They thought, oh, well, Jesus has gone up to heaven, so we better get together and make a good organization or a club or a society that follows Jesus. This has been God's idea from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of the time. He had his called out ones that he would establish as his people. It is Jesus is the originator and the beginning of his church. It was by his obedience and his sacrifice that we received life. It was by the conviction of his Holy Spirit that we responded by faith to his saving grace. He is the head of the church because it is all by him, it's all for him, and in him we exist as his called out ones. There's nothing about the church that can exist if it's not for Jesus. And I, I was thinking again of those words when Jesus was... Uh, when the disciples, after Jesus was uh, crucified, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and, and um, they were being whipped and being accused. And the high priest Caiaphas was determined to have them killed. And then Galileo, one of the uh, one of the great teachers of that time, he said, he said, just stop a minute. He said, if these men are just enthusiastic, this thing is going to fade out anyway. But if 
this is from God, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. And I want to say that the church has survived through the most terrible persecution through all the ages. Um, it has gone through ups and downs, political empires and changes, but the church still exists today, God's faithful church, because it is not a human thing. It is sustained and empowered and originated by Christ, and it is him that gives its life. The firstborn from among the dead, this is another way to understand this head. Um, Ants, when he preached a few weeks ago, he explained this so wonderfully that um, this word firstborn doesn't necessarily just mean uh, in our understanding the one who's firstborn. So like our son Matthew was born first, so he would be the firstborn. In that culture of the day, when you used the word firstborn, it referred to the heir and the master of the house. The whole inheritance went to the firstborn. So if someone was called the firstborn, you were saying that they were the Lord, the master. And Matt, I can see you telling Jesse to, <laughs> to just get into place. <laughs> yes, there's a sense that that's, that's how it's used as the master of the house, the heir of the house. And so in that first verse that we originally looked at, it's that Ant explained, Jesus is master of heaven and earth. He is master of the whole of the universe. But in this verse, we're learning that he is the master of his church. He is the Lord of his church. Jesus has always been Lord of his church. He has always been Lord of creation. But when he overcame our greatest enemy, which is death, by rising up from the grave, he confirmed his lordship through this powerful demonstration to the church of who he is. He is truly God, the greatest power above any authority in heaven and on earth. So when we say he was the firstborn from the dead, he is the master over death. And... Uh, he made a way, when he was raised to life, he made a way for us too, his body, to also be raised to life. And he gave us new life too. Do you understand? Nothing can happen to the head uh, without it happening to the body as well. The power of Jesus being raised to life is our power too. Do you understand how powerful this is? What is true for the head is true for the body. And what this means for us is that being a Christian is not just about little old me struggling along in my faith, trying my best and hoping somehow to get through. No, we have the almighty God who has adopted us as his very own children. He's knitted us in as part of his family, his body, and he's resourced us with everything we could possibly ever need for life and godliness. Now, I know that sometimes the drudge of life can cause us to scratch around like chickens in the dust looking for corn, thinking this is our lot in life. When we are actually called to see that the Lord of heaven has bestowed on us his very life and the abundant wealth of his blessings. The Lord of heaven has chosen you. The Lord of all creation has chosen you to be part of his family. Don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. And we see the next line, um, which Nick has so wonderfully anticipated, is that God has done this so that Jesus might have the supremacy. Jesus might have the supremacy. Um, Some translations use another word, which is Christ is preeminent. And uh, I quite like that that uh, phrase because it is so it's very very rich and uh, I've, I thought I've found some synonyms for preeminence which I think can help us unpack how amazing Christ is he is incomparable he is matchless he is the foremost he is peerless we've all got peers don't we we all have people who are in the similar field to us at work or in a similar stage of life or someone who's, we've all got someone we can compare ourselves to and say, okay, this is where I'm at in my life. Jesus is peerless. He has no one who's equal. He's got no one to be compared with. Um, He is the towering, topmost, unsurpassed one. He is unrivaled. Uh, When when the boys were, were growing up, we used to love arm wrestling as a family. And so when they were little, you kind of, showed your strength, but you let them beat you. Um, but as, it, as they grew older, it got a little bit harder, and you just were going, <laughs> trying to not let them beat you, and then eventually it was a, it's a give up. They will beat you all the time. And with Jesus, it's unrivaled. He doesn't have anyone that can even remotely arm wrestle him. He is the supreme power of the universe. So I want to just unpack for us some ways um, in which Jesus is preeminent and supreme. So the first one, um, thanks Nick, is that he is the first. He is preeminent in age. Uh, as we read in that first part of the, the verse, before he, the earth was created, Jesus was. Before Abraham, I am. There is no beginning to Jesus. He is the first in the sense that Everything that exists that we know has only come as, as, as a flick in eternity compared to his eternal existence. He has always been. In the work of redemption, he is the first. He is the firstborn from the dead. I know that you might say there were other people raised from the dead like Lazarus, so Jesus wasn't the first one to raise from the dead. Yes, but Jesus was the first one to raise himself from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus, but Jesus was the firstborn from the dead because it was his own power that brought him to life. Then secondly, he is preeminent because he's the mightiest. He is the creator. He made everything that exists. He is the preserver. Nothing of life is sustained except through him. And he is sovereign over the natural and the spiritual world. Just think of that that lovely story, which I know we love to tell in in Sunday school, when Jesus calmed the storm. The disciples were in the boat. The storm was raging, and Jesus was sleeping on a pillow, it says, fast asleep. And everyone is panicking, going, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And they wake him up. He must have been sleeping, and they were so terrified. And he stopped, and he looks at them, and he says, Why are you afraid? O ye of little faith, and he stands up and he says, be still. And it says, and the wind and the waves died down. 
And they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is the Lord of everything. He cast out demons. He healed bodies because he is sovereign over the whole world. He is the richest. He owns all the treasures of creation. What do you lack? Your father owns everything. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are his. Where do you lack wisdom? In James it says, ask. And he gives generously without finding fault. All the treasures of grace are his. He's at preeminence in all these things. The next thing is, he is the highest. And I want to just read this simple passage from Revelation. So John on the island of Patmos is caught up into a vision and he sees Jesus enthroned in glory. And this part of it says, wherever the living creatures give glory, there were these angels, seraphim and cherubim flying around the throne. Honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives there forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. He is the highest. There is no one more powerful, more glorious than him. He is the loveliest, altogether lovely. If you had to see Jesus, you would just think he was the most beautiful radiance of God's glory. I don't think we would even have words to capture his beauty. And he is the most kind, loving person you could ever, ever meet. Think of the greatest depth of love and compassion and tenderness that is God, that is this Jesus, and that is how he is to us. And then he is the last, and he is the first. Um, He not only pre-exists everything, he will carry on after everything folds up. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is our all in all. And Paul said these wonderful words, in him we live and move and have our being. So I want to say, for me, as I began to study this and read this, and my heart just began to grow so full of sense again of who Jesus is in his preeminence, in his supremacy, as the head of this church that we are part of, I believe our only appropriate response is to worship him, to wholly yield our lives to him, to fully trust him. If you cannot trust him, who can you trust? If you cannot give your life to someone like Jesus, who is God all in all, who can you give your life to? Today, I want to challenge us and I want to exhort us to reassess our view of Christ. Have we dumbed him down and made him a version of our own imaginings? then we will only ever know a life of small possibilities. Remember today who who has chosen you and given you life, the Lord of all creation, the King over everything. And let us give him the due honor and devotion that he is worthy of. 
let us trust him with great faith because he who has called us is faithful. Let's be reassured. And I want to just end with those simple words that Jesus said to his disciples in the boat. Why are you afraid? The Lord calls us today to not be afraid, to not be in that place of consternation and anxiety. He says, will you see who I am and see what I will do? Because I am your faithful God, the head of, your, of this church, and I am the preeminent beginning and the end, the almighty God.